Hello, everyone. It's Shagilola Salami. It's the Shagilola Salami Show. It's a podcast show set in a virtual cafe. And I'm in London right now, just um, relaxing and, you know, thankful that we do have some sunshine. So fingers crossed, it will be another interesting day in the virtual cafe. It's quite a warm day today. So I'm drinking some pineapple infused um, water. I wonder what you're having. Anywho, let's see who we've got here. And I hope it's going to be another hopefully entertaining but educative episode. And hopefully you'll learn something new today. Um, right. So who's here in the cafe with me today? Hi, Shigoya. It's Michael Black and I'm from Redding, California in the States. And I'm looking forward to, to talking with you about my pending, uh, my upcoming book, uh, Happy endings and a new beginning. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. Um, what's the time there? The time is seven thirty-four a.m. Oh wow, that's that's really early. Yeah. I think the beauty about having a virtual cafe is that you know we can. I I tend to chat with people in all time zones, yeah. which I probably would not do in my you know in my in the real life. Um, yes. You know, I've spoken to people who are in like. So it's today here, but they're actually in my tomorrow, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, it is a virtual cafe, so why don't we start off with getting you something, some virtual drinks? What would you like? Boy, I would love that. You know, I like, uh, well, I, I'm diabetic, so I always order sugar-free. However, at the same time, I like a good muffin with sugar in it. So um, I try to I try to watch my blood sugars in there. They are leveled perfectly. So um, I love I would love to have just a nice hot coffee this early in the morning. Yes. Okay. Fabulous. Right. See, I think I've grown up and I've become my mother. I like to feed. (laughs) Right. Like the other day, I was like. Why do you like feeding people? And I was like, that's what my mom used to do. Like people, right? And yeah. there's a guy who looks after the property, you know, the block of flats where I live. Yeah. And he's diabetic as well, right? And then he comes yeah. because, you know, he wants to help me sort out something, right? And yeah. I'm going, right, you know what? I baked some bread or I've got some pancake and he goes, I really shouldn't. You know, my wife is going to tell me up. I'm like, yes, but what she doesn't know doesn't, doesn't hurt her, right? <laughs> <laughs> You can have some pancake, right? Because I've got a four-year-old and, you know, I try to make sure that I don't give her too much sweet things. Um, You know, I try to create that balance between getting her the things that other children would eat, but then, you know, reducing her sugar intake. And I think I got the perfect recipe for making the healthiest, healthiest pancake right it's um this is like i think it's like my own secret recipe right but i'm happy to share it with any moms here you know and it's got i put you know a dollop of cottage cheese and you know cottage cheese is very protein rich yes in my mind that's extra protein um but then so we've got this um wheat based cereal which is 95 percent wheat Um, And then it's just like barley extracts, you know, that makes up the remaining 5%. And whenever I'm making the pancake mixture, I just take a handful of it and blitz it in my smoothie maker and add it. And that's like extra fiber. And then I just 
instead of one cup of sugar, I use half a cup of sugar and it is perfection. And so when the guy who looks after the building comes, you know, he just cannot help himself, right? I'm like, yes, you know what? You're walking about all the day, you know, doing, looking after all your properties, you know, bad. <laughs> so I would like to offer you some of my special protein fiber rich pancakes. I think that would be a good one. I, oh, I would love one. I would love one. That sounds really good. And I put bananas in them as well. So extra potassium as well. See, it's like, I knew, I just, in, when I'm cooking, I always think of all the different, you know, um, nutrients that I'm putting in for my daughter. Like I'm not calorie counted, but I'm counting nutrients. I'm thinking, great, pancake, protein, check, fiber, check, calcium, check, potassium, check. It's like, oh, excellent. Because I just, if I don't do that, I feel like sometimes I might end up just giving her junk and I'm like, that's not good to work. If I count how many nutrients I'm putting, it makes me feel good. Well, I'll tell you, my wife is a nurse and I couldn't have married a better person. As we talk, I'll, I'll share more of my, my journey, my health journey, as well as my journey uh, through life. And uh, she tries to feed me very healthy for my health reasons, but mm-hmm. you know, it's really helped to put those healthy ingredients into our food so that we get a better nutrition. Yes. So, but you know, that's it. So we will get you virtual banana pancakes and. Oh, I can hardly wait. Sorry? I said, I can hardly wait. Sounds delicious. And normally my baby is (laughs) doing on 14, right? Sometimes I look at her and I think, how do I have a four-year-old teenager? (laughs) But yeah, so normally when she's here, she gets this virtual drinks. Because I'm like, you know what? We need to start her early, get her, you know, used to doing work so she would normally get the virtual drinks but you yeah. know she's getting older now she needs to have a you know social life like she's got a more active social life than i do can you imagine right but yeah. it is what it is so yes right so tell me you said you've got an upcoming <laughs> oh that's great yeah you said your book is coming four years old yes i know <laughs> Yep, my book is out now. It's it's actually out now. It just dropped uh, last week, so I'm happy and excited about it. At the same time, the book contains a lot of per- my personal journey and through the ins and outs of life. And it's very it puts me in a very vulnerable place. But at the same time, I think it's time to step forward and be vulnerable so that other people can learn from my own vulnerability. Okay. And what's the title of your book? The title of the book is called Happy Endings, that's plural, and a new beginning. Happy Endings and a New Beginning. Right. And did you use your name? Or a pen I did use, no, I did use my name. That's the vulnerable part. Uh, as I said earlier, my name is Michael Black. I'm the author. And uh, no, no, no pen name. I will say that in the book, I talk a lot about a lot of circumstances where there are people involved. I did not use any names in the book other than my own. They all have surnames or uh, shortened nicknames. Okay, that's fine. So did you publish your book yourself or did you go with a a publisher, a trade publisher? Well, I didn't go with a a trade publisher. I went with with a publisher and I don't, is it okay to say my publisher's name? I'm going to say Covenant Books. It's C-O-V-E-N-A-N-T. Covenant Books. And they are in South Carolina. Let me tell you, I've been very happy with them. They walked me through the whole process as a first-time author. 
Um, but the publisher, I had never worked with a publisher before. Of course, I, I did my homework on publishers. I will say without mentioning the, the publisher's name, another publisher had contacted me. I had put an ad out there looking for someone to help me. I just didn't have the flow of it. And I was working on the flow and I put an ad, ad out for basically an assistant, which I know you have as well. Um, and I got a lot of responses with people interested in the synopsis of the story. What I found odd was that one of them called me and we connected right away and we got to working together. But then I thought to myself, you know, my ad did not include my phone number. So how did he get my phone number? Make a long story short, it wasn't a horrible experience. I just felt like I was being taken, like he was just interested in the, the dollar of my story. Yeah. Um, but I had to terminate that relationship. And then I, I did my research a little more thoroughly. And by then I had a little more knowledge of the publishing world. And I reached out to Covenant Books. Oh, it's been some time ago. And in doing my research, I did read on that what, what genres they accept. And they are a faith-based organization, a publishing company. And though I am a man of faith, the topic matter in my book is sometimes a little, it's something that people don't often talk about, especially men. And I didn't think that the publisher would accept my writings because it was, you know, it, it delves into some really deep personal subjects. Um, but I thought I'm going to, if they'll accept it, I'll, I'll submit my, my manuscript. I did. And with a lot of praying, received notice back that they wanted my book. So I've been very happy with them. I've had no hiccups along the way and uh, very happy. And I highly recommend, I'm not here to, to push publishers, but I highly recommend Covenant Books as your publishing company. Okay. So when was your book published? It was just published on April 7th, I believe it was, was the, the published date. I didn't, I, I currently obviously selling copies but it was it's just been within the last month oh cool just so you yeah you mentioned that it's got you know really personal you know topics in the book you know do you mind telling us a bit about it oh not a bit you know back in the 80s and early 90s um i carry a disease that has a stigma attached so so tightly uh i will tell you i'm a survivor not a victim of AIDS. I've lived with AIDS for 27 years, which in and of itself is um, remarkable considering in the 80s and early 90s, those of us living with AIDS were dropping off like flies. Hmm. People, there wasn't a lot of research on the on the disease and uh, somehow I made it through those, those eras and I'm getting better and better all the time. But as well, the topic matter uh, touches on pedophilia. Okay. Um, I am a, a survivor of child sexual assault. Uh, the book also talks about drugs. I had a 14-year, what I call a love affair with drugs. Um, I've been sober now for many moons since 1998. Um, you know, it just touches on the hashtag Me Too movement of men. You know, and I think that child sexual assault for men especially is something that's Men just don't talk about it. I think they probably think that it um, doesn't demonize them, but it, 
it emasculates them. And sometimes men have a hard time finding their way through the world after such an event. Yes. I can totally, I can totally understand that. Um, You know, when you, when you said that, when you, you were going through your, you know, your story, it reminded me that I think probably it was one of the episodes of the later part, the later episodes that I released of the podcast in probably was 2016 because that was when the, um, the podcast first started and we talked through the different stages of grief but more as it pertains to child abuse um, it would at the time it was a topic that you know was really close to my heart because I had found out recently at the time that my Burton partner, you know, who was a really good friend of mine, um, you know, he was like, he's one of the most supportive human beings I've ever met. And, you know, it was something that he didn't tell anybody or he didn't tell a lot of people, like probably outside of his family, maybe less than a handful of people know, uh, you know, that he was sexually abused for 10 years as a child. Um, and his parents didn't know, and his abuser goes, well, if you tell anybody, I'm going to just go over to your, you know, your younger brothers. And, you know, it was really, it was really shocking for me to find out, um, because it's just not something you would ever imagine that someone, you know, you know, would be going through it. And so for me, you know, I just thought, you know, let me just give this as another opportunity for people to just know that you can talk about it. And, there is actually help and, you know, it's okay to go through the different stages of grief. Um, so this was one of the episodes, you know, that we covered, you know, I think it was like the six stages of grief um, that we had covered, you know, I think it was 2016. So it was quite, you know, interesting to hear, you know, yes. your story, but, you know, I would, sorry for, you know, like, take it, you know, just taking it off. I was just, you know, it just, it put flashbacks to my mind of the episode that we had had, you know, on this particular subject. And it's good to see that, you know, three years later, you know, we're still open to having such conversations and hopefully more men will realize that it is okay to talk, come out and talk. It is okay. And I'll tell you, it's for me. And I think for most people, it's very healing. You know, they say with any, any, quote unquote, victim of child sexual assault, oftentimes there's that um, repetitive cycle that once you've been abused, sometimes you can turn into the abuser. And um, I find that it's, and I quote this in the book, that it's our, I've learned in life that it's our secrets, what we keep inside those ill things that make us sick. Um, I think by talking about it, it helps to bring light to it and um, uh, you know, hopefully helps parents to, I wouldn't say maybe better protect their children, but to be more aware of their surroundings. In my book, I, um, I, I make it clear that my man who has the book circles around is our choices. He made a choice to walk away. Um, we had no relationship. I have a stepfather who is my brother's father who walked away as well. As well, my brother and I were both raised by a stepfather, stepdad, who um, whose name I carry, the last name of Black. It's a step name, but, um, now my name. Um, but those three men all walked away. And I think for a child such as myself, who's very tender heart, I looked at it as, looked at it as rejection and I think that it made me very vulnerable to where maybe the abuse, it's something I'm still, still work through. 
I think I craved that male attention, that any attention was good attention for me. So I think that's where I struggled for years with liking him is, was the connection. There was a connection there. Um, and I, it sounds odd to say that you like the abuse, but for me, it was just about bonding or connecting. And sadly, through that was sex. Um, and it, it went on hundreds of times over the course of my childhood, um, which then led me into, you know, a lot of confusion. I don't know if I like men. I don't like, know if I like women. I was comfortable with men um, because that's what was introduced to me. I became involved in drugs, which is another very common theme amongst those who have been abused. They, they can turn to their vices. Um, I don't think that any child comes out of abuse unaffected. Uh, for myself, I turned to drugs and nurtured a 14-year love affair with drugs and so much more, as I write about in the book. Um, it was in those 14 years, I was in and out, and this is where it's it's pretty deep subject, but I was in and out of beds, um, primarily with men. Um, I had a high school girlfriend, you know, I played that role of being a heterosexual man, man but I was having sex with men behind closed doors. Eventually, at 23, I married my mother's best friends, the daughter of my mother's best friend, I guess I married in hopes that it would change me, that I mean what I've described as a man whore, um, yeah. being in and out of beds. Um, but I had no more than said my I do's to my beautiful bride that I knew I did not. Um, it didn't change me. I worked in the medical field for many years before becoming disabled in 1994. I uh, worked in the business office of a hospital for years and it was while working at my desk um, after after the divorce of the hospital where my boss had come by to chat for a bit and she noticed what I thought was a pimple at me on my face on my neck actually I had a, a lump on my neck and she said you, know, you might want to get that thing checked out I said to her oh no big deal it's just an acne I've been treating it as such I, I had been using my regime on my acne, I tried rubbing alcohol, cleaning it real well, and it just kept getting larger and larger. Well, after the nudging of my boss, I went and had a biopsy done on that, on that bump alongside my neck. Shortly thereafter, my doctor had called me personally at the office and said, hey, you need to come in and I need to talk to you about something. So I was going to go in and meet my doctor and my boss that she was a registered nurse. She suggested, let me come with you. Let me come with you to this doctor appointment. And I thought to myself, no worries. It'll be fine. He just wants to talk, not even thinking about anything. But she insisted on coming with me to my appointment with the doctor, and I allowed it. It was while sitting there across the doctor's desk that with my boss holding my hand, my doctor said that he was sorry to have to inform me that, that I had an A3-related non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had cancer and I had AIDS. Mind you, this was November of 1992, in probably the height of the AIDS epidemic. People who, living, who were living with the disease were dropping off left and right. What I had heard my doctor say that day was, Michael, you have AIDS and you're going to die. This was my interpretation. My boss 
the registered nurse, who I'm still in contact with all these years later, she would have told you something different. She would have told you that she heard a little bit of hope. Um, she didn't hear death. But for a drug addict, a functioning drug addict who didn't have a lot going for him other than his job, according to my standards, I didn't think I had that much time left. You know, AIDS was killing people. And and uh, I remember sitting at the end of the exam table after my cancer had gone into remission. The doctor told me that I was cancer free. He told me that um, my lymphoma had gone off. It, it was no longer existent. However, there was no cure for AIDS. My numbers where AIDS is confirmed had plummeted uh, because of the chemotherapy. And I remember asking my doctor his um, what he thought, what his professional opinion was of my diagnosis of AIDS. And I asked him a silly question, really, was how much time do you think I have left? I remember him looking at me and saying to me, well, I don't tell my patients that. And I told him, I'm not most patients. And needless to say, we went back and forth for some time, whether or not he was going to say no, like pushing. And I didn't leave the office until I got an answer. And sadly, at the time, he told me he believed, though cancer-free, though cancer-free, he believed that I had four to six months to live. Wow. In that time, those four to six months, I kept living. I kept working. Um, in fact, I worked for another year and kept waiting for that other shoe to drop. I kept waiting for that, not waking up and maybe finding a life after death. Needless to say, the years passed by. I eventually became disabled. I My first day of disability was actually April Fool's Day. I don't know if you celebrate that in the UK, but we yeah. have what's called April Fool's Day. We and, do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, I enjoyed me a good April Fool, but I began my disability on April Fool's Day, 1994. Shortly thereafter, um, a former boyfriend of mine had passed away, and I remember he passed away of AIDS, and I write about all this in the book, and you can kind of follow my journey through drugs, and it wasn't until 1998, mind you, six years after my diagnosis, five plus years after my chemo, my, my cancer had gone into remission and the doctor had told me I had four to six months to live. Here we are five, six years later. And I, I stopped by my mother and grandmother's house who were living together at the time. I'm still mother and I had had kind of a tumultuous relationship. I would say, venture to say that it was based around my addiction. You know, it, it was a lot of it stemmed from that addiction. Uh, but I stopped by their house that day while mom was at work. And I stopped by to visit my best friend, who was my grandmother. And we chit-chatted and I raided their refrigerator like we drug addicts do because I never had any money of my own because all my money went to drugs. I remember eating, raiding their refrigerator that day and then laying down on their, their sofa in the den. And I was just going to take a quick nap. Well, I ended up living with my mother and grandmother for the next 13 years. I became incredibly ill. I was not knowing at the time, very anemic. I remember 
my mother at one time laying her warm body over me, trying to warm her baby. Um, I was at this time 33 years old. I will tell you, and I don't tell many people this jokingly, I am 53, almost 54. Um, but at 3, I became deathly ill. My mother had taken me to the hospital. And by then, I had had, I had no memory of a lot of memory about around this time. It came in kind of spurts. I was hospitalized in critical condition, given a lot of blood. That to say, I remember lying. I do remember lying in my hospital bed and my doctor coming into my room and asking my mother to step out of the room. There I could hear him. And I like to tell people that when you're talking about a patient in a hospital, make sure they can't hear you. They stepped out into the hallway and I could still hear him tell my mother that I he didn't believe I had much uh, time left that it was possible that she should probably start making arrangements to bury me. Wow. He said to her, yeah. last ditch effort, we are going to transport your son to it's the university of California in Davis, UC Davis. You may or may not have heard of it, heard of it. No, I was transported to a larger hospital two and a half hours away where I was treated by infectious disease doctors. They found then, after having doing a craniotomy to my head, which is basically taking a bone, your flap of your head, your uh, skull, they open it and they look inside to see what's going on. I was having some, a lot of issues around my memory. And um, they also did an exploratory surgery of my abdomen and looking to find what was affecting me. It was actually during that time they learned that I had uh, what is called Mycobacterium avium. It's otherwise known as a bird flu. Yeah. How it's contributed, yeah. I don't know. Um, I have my suspicions. I uh, had drank a lot of water that summer, prior summer, out of a hose. It's just something that I did. You know, I've gone running from house to house doing my drugs, doing whatever it was I was doing, grabbing a quick drink of water. I remember I drank, drank a lot, significant amount of hose water. That to say they were able to diagnose what the issue was and treat, treat the mycobacterium avium. And after an 18-day stint at UC Davis, my body slowly started to regain ground and I started healing. I was sent home after 18 days to my mother's house. By this time, my mother and her friends had moved me out of my own place and in with her. Um, and I'll tell you, slowly but surely, it's been a process. Mind you, this was 21 years ago. Yeah. I slowly began gaining ground and slowly but surely my body started recuperating in that time. I will tell you, medically speaking, there was a, a prescription that was released approximately 1994-95, which was the breakthrough AIDS, and it was called a cocktail for weak people who take it. And it's a combination of pills that made a vast difference in the AIDS community. Um, people started living longer. People's health improved. And I was fortunate enough to not be too late to that drug. Um, slowly but surely, my health started gaining, gaining ground. And yes, I have had some setbacks in my life. Um, 
but nothing major. And here I am today. You know, it's been 20, what is it, 27 years almost since that diagnosis, 26 years since I was told the first time, four to six months to live. Um, and since 1998, the doctor told my mom it didn't look so promising. Um, I am a man of faith. I I know that I had a lot of people praying for me. I am a um, servant for my utmost, uh, my higher power. And, you know, I believe very strongly uh, that he's instilled the fact that my work's not done here. Um, anyway, so that the book kind of covers a lot of that, that uh, covers, you know, from the time of my birth, being born fatherless um, into it, it takes place from that time up to approximately age 49, which was four, almost five years ago, um, when I got married uh, for the second time to a beautiful woman who is, I don't want to give the end of the book away, but she's a nurse. And I explain in the book how I met her and how the whole thing um, opened up, how our love story opened up. Um, I will tell you, of all the beds that I had been in and out of seeking love, seeking that touch, that uh, not so much well, a commitment, yes, but seeking that approval from men being in and out of so many beds, who would have thought that I would have found love in a, an amazing nurse who takes care of people? I mean, what, what better... Uh, what better occupation to marry into, right? Nurse, yeah. when, you're, yeah. when you're a sick man. Yeah. So anyways, the, the, as I said, the book spans from pretty much for 49 years. I will say that I'm writing a second book. I'm trying to plug away at it. <laughs> That's fine, plug <laughs> away. Yeah, plug away at it. Uh, it takes place after the, after my second marriage. Okay. And you know, Shigoya, I've got a I've got a beautiful life now, and it's um it's all been about choices. You know, the book circles around choices; it centers around choices. What I've learned is that it's our choices that predict the well. The choices can change the whole traje- trajectory of a person's life. In my book, um, Happy Endings and a New Beginning. I point out a lot of my good choices, the good choices I've made in life, um, as for instance, marrying my second wife and the bad choices I've made in life, marrying the first wife, um, seeking love, you know, in a bedroom um, with my current wife. I had gone to my higher power, meaning that I got at the foot of my bed and I prayed. And at the time I was having some health issues and I talked to my higher power about those health issues. I said to him, you know exactly what's going on. Whatever it is, might something good come from it. This time was different than all the others. I had been out of a real quick relationship that I spent with a man, younger man, for about a year and a half. In my book, I do refer to him as, well, some call him, called him my midlife crisis uh he was <laughs> I, at the time i was 46 which was really just three years prior to marrying my wife who i didn't know at the time but three years prior to that at the age of 46 i'd returned from africa on it from a 
missions trip, helping those living with AIDS and those who had been, those children who had been orphaned by AIDS. And I had met and fell in love with a man half my age. He was 23. And, and I write about him in my little, in, in my book as he's referred to as my little oopsie. <laughs> Me, I, I, you know, maybe wasn't thinking so clearly. And um, the book just, takes you through a journey. You know, I will say that I contracted the AIDS virus, no doubt, from not being, not protecting myself. I believed a man, one of my boyfriends, who told me he was, had a negative status. Now, negative status in the AIDS world or the gay world oftentimes means that a person is not HIV positive. If you are HIV negative, which sounds like a horrible thing, but it's really a good thing in the AIDS world. Um, that negative really means that a good thing. It means that you do not, you are not a carrier of the the disease. My then one night stand or so I thought told me he was HIV negative. We very personal, but as um, I've told people that we, after I learned that he was HIV negative and I, was believed to have been according to my last blood work. Um, we went at it that night like jackrabbits. Um, very unsafe. <laughs> and very unsafe. And all night long being addicts and uh, getting to know each other very well. That said, it was during my chemotherapy in 1992-93. I had four months of chemotherapy. While recuperating at home, and I, my bosses, the registered nurse, allowed me to work from home during my chemotherapy. It was very kind. Uh, but it was while recuperating at home, I had had what's called a spinal tap. Mm -hmm. And for those of you women who have had epidurals, it's very similar. Yeah. Um, there's a big needle involved. But it was during my recuperating at home one day I decided to straighten up the house that day of myself and my boyfriend's home he was at he was at work and I came across some papers and I write about this in the book that I thought to myself I can file these in my boyfriend's filing cabinet hmm. I opened the filing cabinet and I was looking for the appropriate place to file the papers and I found a pink piece of paper that caught my attention. I'm not typically a nosy person, mm. but this, this pink piece of paper, I just was curious. I remember, remember pulling it from his uh, filing cabinet and looking at it, and much to my surprise, it was a violation that he had been written up for, for urinating in public. He had been to a bar. I can only imagine the bar was packed that night. He couldn't find the restroom at empty space to relieve himself. He, he was a little intoxicated and he had gone outside the bar and peed alongside the bar and got caught. To me, it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, as a man, and I think many of your listeners, the men listeners can, can attest to this, that it's easy for a man to relieve himself, you know, much easier than women can. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't find any foul in his pain because he, if you had, when you got to go, you got to go. Yeah. That to say the night that we had met, he told me that he had no run-ins with the law. 
So after having been together for a bit, I didn't understand why I didn't know about this little, uh, you know, violation. And it, it felt, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It felt, I felt like I had been wronged, lied to. And I was in, yeah. had been in this relationship with man for a couple of years now. And I was shocked he hadn't told me. But it, it made me curious. If he hadn't told me about this, what else had he not told me about? I dug further into his files that day while he was at work. And it was there that I found lab work from prior to our meeting that he had been HIV positive. I learned that day that he had lied to me about his own status. He was indeed HIV positive. Um, I say that because I took his word for it when we met that he was HIV negative, meaning he did not carry the virus. Um, And that was a horrible choice on my, my part. I encourage my readers to not always take somebody else's word, especially a stranger, their word for for truth. You know, it, it's, yeah. you want to believe everybody, but when you're intoxicated and high on drugs, you don't always make those right choices. So my suggestion would be not to get high or, or belligerently drunk. Um, now, I can't say that he was the reason that I contracted AIDS. Um, because as I believe I mentioned earlier, I had been a man whore. I had not always been safe. And um, for years, I lived with guilt around the fact that I deserved AIDS because of my past. Um, It's only barely been in recent years that I've been able to, actually, I would say through writing the book, that I've been able to let go of a lot of the baggage that I carried around. You know, writing my own autobiography at the age of what it took me a good nine years to write the book. It was very therapeutic. Um, In fact, I've told my therapist who I see every two years, I've told him no offense, but writing the book was the best therapy I ever had. I think that over the years, I've done a lot of healing by by reaching out to other people. Um, I think sometimes we people who are dealing with life-altering circumstances, we get so caught up in our self. And I think sometimes even when you're sick, yes, you have to take care of yourself. Yes, you have to be self-centered in focusing on yourself. But if you can find that time to search out other areas that you can help somebody else, it's, it's healing. Yeah. So, and I've been fortunate yeah. to do that over the course of my life. What I will say, though, is that you've been very brave, um, you know, to open your wounds and put it in the book for everyone to, you know, to hear your story. Um, but then not only that, but then to come to my virtual cafe yeah. and, you know, actually put your emotions out in your words and share your story. Um, my takeaway from everything you said is human beings, you know, we're really flawed. Don't trust yeah. anybody. Right? True. You know, because there people who you think, you know, cause you said, you know, you don't take a stranger by their word. Right. I will tell you that there are people who you think, you know, and even at their death, you think, wow, I didn't know this person at all. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, in the book, 
there's a lot of stuff I've written about with, you know, with using it almost as a form of therapy. Yeah. That, you know, when a person's in therapy for myself, I've been in therapy for years. It's, it's healthy for me. Um, but when, when a person's in therapy, it's, it's very personal. You know, you often tell your therapist things that you wouldn't tell other people. For me, writing the book was, I opened my heart and I wrote, but the people around me, uh, my wife, now my wife already knew what was in the book, uh, but my own mother, in fact, who lives with me now, um, she has a copy of the book, but I've told her, you know, don't, don't disown me when you read, because there's so much in the book that I haven't shared with people, but I'm taking a bold move. I'm going to share it with everybody now. So you're right. People don't, don't discuss it. You know, and I'm not saying not to trust people. I'm saying to don't always take people for their word because in my case, you know, I learned that, that somebody lied to me. Big lie. Yes, I could point my fingers at my ex-boyfriend and say, "You did," and I did for a while. You didn't tell me you were HIV positive. Um, but the truth of the matter is, to be blunt, I was a man whore. I'd been in and out of a lot of beds, men and women, and who knows where I contracted the disease. But thank you for that. Yes, by being so transparent with my life, I'm hoping that it will you know, if I can help one person, then my work's done. Yes, I think your book covers so many different issues. You know, there's, you know, there's the bit about craving male attention. There is a bit, you know, feeling that people always walk out. There is a bit about child abuse. There is a bit about sexual abuse. There is the bit about not sure what your sexual orientation is. There's the bit about living with AIDS. You know, there's just so many. I feel like your book is like an emotional roller coaster. Like just look to, talking to you, like it's just making my yeah. heart just race a little bit because I could just imagine the different yeah. emotions that one feel throughout this, you know, throughout the book. Was there anything yeah. funny in the book? You know, I think, you know, the book should have... Well, let me tell you, I've been married. Oh, there's humor in the book. I, I you know, I, I have good... Well, a mother, she passed away six weeks before we got married. She wanted to be at my funeral, but... Or not at, at the wedding, but she wasn't able to, obviously. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of humor in the book. I I have a lot of puns. Not a lot of puns. Not an over overshare of puns. But there's, <laughs> there's a lot of puns in the book that, you know, I think that my reader will... Uh, find funny i did i do tell a story uh i can think right off the top of my head that centers around my grandmother you know being being the older person that she is uh for anybody you can't hold as my well i'll get there in a sec but your gas my grandmother and i were out at a at a place to eat once and as she was getting up from the table i remember her holding on to the edge of the table in the booth mind you she's an older woman that was about five foot two about 213 pounds stocky. She went to push herself up out of the booth that we were eating. And, and she, well, she let out some gas and there was a man sitting behind us. And I remember clearly my grandmother turning around once she got to her feet and looking at the man and cupping, cupping her hands, putting her hands out with the palms up and looking at him and saying, you know, you can't hold anything you don't have in your hands. 
And we all laughed about that. Um, there's a lot of humor around my grandmother, uh, not at my grandmother, but we shared a lot. And, and uh, yes, there is a lot of humor in the book, too. It's not that I intentionally put humor in there. I just, I try not, though my life topics are very serious, I try to humor, add humor in along the way because it's such a deep, deep subject um, that I think my reader will acknowledge and um, understand the humor in the book. So thank you for asking that. Yes, there is a lot of humor in the book. Yes, because I think it would be very intense for it to just be only the really strong things. You know, there'll be, you know, everyone, when you're reading stuff, you need to be able to have that balance of, okay, that's a break. Let me catch my breath now. That that was an intense ride. Let me come yeah. up to the next ride. Whereas if you were just there, you just get dizzy and you're yeah. like, oh my God, I can't deal with this now. No, look, anybody who knows me, and I'm, I'm hoping that the reader will get to know me, well, a lot more, but knows that humor is just part of my middle name. And I, I, find, I find humor in just the craziest sort of things. So yeah, you know, I hope that... I want to connect with the heart of my reader, but at the same time, I want you to enjoy the humor. Just, I'm okay. You know, yes, I live with a horrible disease, but I'm here today. And just know that as you're reading the book, I'm still here, you know, and I'm still surviving and thriving. And maybe I'm being biased, but I think it's a really good read. And I think that the reader will be happy with, look, it's not all gloom and doom. There is in the title, a happy ending you know, which is really a new, new beginning in that, that, that the book takes place up to the day that I said my I do's with my wife. So oh, that's really sweet. Thank you. Sugoya, you're, you're a little bit uh, fading out there. Okay. No, I said, I can imagine my baby, you know, my, my four-year-old going, Oh, that's so cute and adorable. You know, where you said, you know, it went up to the point yeah. where you said your I do's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think your four-year-old, what, you know, it, I, look, I will say, I do not believe this. I know that you're not going to let your four-year-old read it, but I don't know that this book is uh, meant for everybody. I wouldn't suggest it for children. Um, Definitely maybe not. Older I who, I think she doesn't even know how to read it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, by the way, I've, I've heard you interact with your four-year-old through other your other podcast and i just i don't know her but you guys seem to have a beautiful relationship i love love listening to you and i've heard her on on your show say hello or to get she's part of the virtual cafe and and you're doing a really good job thank you you know what sometimes when i hear that it makes me feel good because i will tell you right and i'm sure i'm not the only parent or the only mom who feels this way but sometimes i always ask myself am i doing a good job i think that's probably a really common question i would say amongst mothers and fathers you know i four years old it's sweet age. It was also the age in which, you know, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer here, but it was the age in which I write about in the book that I was sexually violated and just keep that pureness and wholeness with your daughter because there's a lot of, you know, you don't want to smother your child, but at the same time, not everybody has good intentions. And, and, um, you know, it's, uh, 
time appropriate with this book. You know, I'm, my, my prayer is that this book will last a long time because I think that it covers a lot of topics that are today even hot topics still. Yes. Um, for instance, I do include in the book that I am a hashtag me too survivor. Um, uh, sadly, you know, we've all become so familiar with the hashtag me too movement. Um, but I had never, I had, oh, well, let me say this. I had always wanted to be a father. I had always wanted to father a child. Yeah. Uh, as many beds as I had been in and out of, that never happened. Um, but when I became ill with the AIDS virus at the age of 29, those hopes and dreams went out the window real quick. Um, and I know that there's, you know, so many other options. There's adoption, there's fostering. And, but now at 53, I'm just, I think I'm too old for that. And I'm very disabled with, um, arthritis and other ailments but um god bless you for you and your four-year-old four-year-old girl so um, i uh hope that we can keep in touch and i can w listen to her grow over the years well please do i would love that you know she's been with me since i started this podcast when she was one right oh my goodness i know so she's grown and i'm thinking that as she gets because now she can literally operate my laptop you know, she knows what my microphone, she knows how to connect my microphone. So I'm thinking by the time she's six years old, probably you would see her, you know, because then she'll be in primary school. She'll be a bit yeah. more articulate. You'll probably be seeing her, you know, doing more of this, you know, in a couple of years time, I'm hoping. Well, I would imagine she, we're not going to see how much is probably be interviewing you by the time she's six easily. On your own show. Be it, you know? <laughs> he's, he's four going on 14, right? Because sometimes I look and I think, how do I have a 14-year-old? Because she's <laughs> a madame, right? She, you know, but she's a really good child. I feel like I'm quite blessed with her. You know, we didn't even have terrible threes, but sometimes yeah. she can't stamp her feet and put her foot down and go, this is what it is, right? <laughs> well, I hope that we all can do that at some point. But yeah, I, I hear you. You know, I am fortunate that even though I don't have children, I've been able to be a part of the lives of many children. Um, I am involved in uh, my church in that I get to work with once a month. I get to sit in and help with the two, three, and four-year-olds. So it's such a precious age and you know, while I'm working with these kids at the time, same time, there are those moments that I can't help but think about my what happened to me at that young age. And I just, it's unfathomable. Um, anyone could touch a child at such a young age. And they're so precious, all of which are precious to God. Yeah. Right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Um, but it's got to come to that time, you know, of the day where I actually do have to go to nursery because if I don't, my four going on 14 year old will go, you're late, right? <laughs> I, don't, so you're I, don't, saying, I don't want to listen to her gob. <laughs> yeah, so you're saying you have other stuff to do besides this interview, right? <laughs> We're not going to interview all day. <laughs> yes. I, I could talk about the day, about, about the book all day, every day. Um, it's a good book, and I would encourage your listeners to pick up their copy. Um, I do believe that there is a small treasure in it for every person who reads it. If you can push past some of the difficult topic matter, you will find a treasure in there for, for the younger generations as well as, as well the 
the older generations. And this book is not just for those people living with AIDS or not just for those who have been sexually violated. As I said, there's a treasure in it for everybody. So feel free to pick up my book, Happy Endings and a New Beginning. Happy Endings and a New Beginning. Fabulous. Yes, is it widely available? Yes. Well, you can you can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble's websites currently. I'm trying my darndest to try to get it into the books, but currently it is available online or at the Covenant uh, Publishing Company's website. Okay, so Happy Endings and a New Beginning by Michael J. Black on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Perfect. And if people want to connect with you, how do they do that? You yes. have a website or are you on Twitter? Yeah, well, I am I am on and Twitter and Instagram. I will say I'm trying to get more familiar with the two, um, but uh, my Twitter and Instagram uh, handles are at um, a, a good journey to the number two. That's A G O O D J O U R N E Y, the number two. As well on Facebook, you can find me at Michael J. Black. And um, I would, you know, I'll return your, your question if you have any questions as soon as I'm able. So thank you so much. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. And before I do um, run off to go and pick up my teenager for my four-year-old teenager. Um, <laughs> yes, Michael did say to me before we started, you know, that he's got a giveaway. But we're not going to talk about it on the show. If you scroll through the description where this episode, you know, about this episode, you will see all the details and the giveaway. If you are not listening to the show on my actual website, you will be able, you have to come on my website to um, enter the giveaway, but all the instructions will be in the, in the show notes. So yes, you know, good, lovely, really, um, really interesting. Well, so should I say lovely giveaway um, coming soon, which I think you would be quite pleased to know. It's just Michael's way of saying, you know, thank you for taking the time to listen um, to the show. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of today's um, episode of the Shagilola Salami Show. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Michael's really emotional journey and how he wrote his book. And I would really appreciate, and I think Michael would really appreciate it. Yes. If considered, you know, going to check out his book on Amazon too. Um, until next time, it's the Shagilola Salami Show. Bye now.